Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 24th of January, 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. We're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us northern exposure from north of the border, and our very own Debbie Evans and Katie Joe. Okay, well, we'll get straight on here. Uh, say thank you very much to anybody who was uh, on the demos over the weekend and uh, put uh, UK Column uh, graphics up. Our posters and, and other placards up. That's that's fantastic. Uh, lots of stuff going on over the weekend, um, including uh, the uh, NHS uh, 100K march in London. Brian and uh, nurses and other NHS staff and supporters uh, coming out, uh, plus the demo, the other demo as well. But uh, you know everybody, everybody out to uh, to make their their points clear. Uh, we've got a, a, a little bit of video that we'll show in a second with uh, a short interview with one of the nurses called Andrea from uh, that, that uh, was, was uh, giving a, you know, her view of why they were there and what they were doing. But uh, they were placing their uh, their scrubs uh, outside Downing Street and in Trafalgar Square. And we see some clear. of them laid down yes. here. Yes. So professional, calm, good natured, almost invariably. Um, but uh, not a lot of mainstream media coverage in some areas. Um, so let's just uh, have a look at the short clip from uh, Andrea. And thanks very much to uh, uh, our supporter who uh, collected this for us. Okay, with everything you're doing here today, with all the numbers you've got, and it's going to get a lot of coverage this, do you think this is going to actually turn the government around and they're going to listen to you? I think they have to listen to us. I think the chance of losing the 100,000 of the NHS staff is catastrophic. We're already short-staffed. We're already struggling. If you get rid of another 100,000 of us, there will be no service. There will be nobody to pick up your grandmother. There will be nobody to hold your grandmother's hand when she's in hospital. We're struggling already. They can't fail to listen to us. Well, clearly there's hundreds of thousands of people coming here to support you today. Are the numbers of NHS staff that want to speak out growing in volume? I think more and more people are joining us. We're seeing a massive increase on social media across our platforms that we have at the moment. Um, and it's not just people who choose to be vaccine free, it is also people who have chosen to have the vaccines. Um, they are, I've talked to people today who've been double jabbed and who said that they are here because they believe in freedom of choice. And that is what we're fighting for. So I, I think yeah. those are very interesting points put forward there. But uh, maybe we could just bring Debbie onto the program and, and say, Debbie, uh, there was some talk over the weekend of the uh, of, of a delay on the the vaccination mandate for NHS staff. I mean, what are you hearing on the grip? Are you hearing anything on the grapevine about whether uh, there's enough pressure within Parliament to have that delayed? Definitely heard that the politicians are listening, and I've heard that there are rumours within government that they are going to row back, um, but not necessarily um, completely, in that they may be rowing back in, in a delay. So in order to speak to everybody individually, um, more than um, stopping the whole mandate. So I think a delay more so than anything else is what I'm hearing. Um, okay, and then uh, David, uh, you have some uh, images here from various demonstrations. Uh, just take us through these. So this is the first one from London um, with uh, Matt Letizier um, and uh, some uh, protesters here against the vaccine mandate. Uh, Matt Letizier being obviously a former uh, professional footballer and uh, one of the few voices speaking out about the uh, health issues 
that sportsmen and women are seeing all across the planet. He's calling for an investigation into that, and uh, there should be more calling likewise. Uh, the next one here, unvaxxed are covering shifts for the vaxxed off sick with COVID. This was posted on Twitter uh, by a nurse who said, yeah, this is correct. I'm doing this myself right now. Um, the, um, the, it's very interesting to see that the demonstrations uh, not only uh, feature Downing Street and Parliament Square, but also the BBC. So here's someone standing outside the BBC with a, a, a no vaccine mandate sign. And uh, in the next slide, we see a, a huge collection of people outside the BBC with uh, Down With Tyranny, Bring Back Freedom uh, signs, amongst others. Uh, and also there a shot of all of the scrubs laid down in uh, Trafalgar Square. Uh, the Daily Skeptic here reported Royal, Royal College of GPs calls for cancellation of NHS vaccine mandate as thousands march in protest. Uh, if we start to get the professional bodies listening, the government will lack their, um, their court intellectuals who give them protection for the various tyrannical uh, policies that they're, they're, in, they're implementing. Uh, and finally here, one from America, a man written on the back of his T-shirt, I cannot tell my kids I did nothing. Myocarditis in USA, age 12 to 20, 2019 four, 2024, 2021, 2236. This is what we're saying. It's all about the statistics. The statistics show what's really happening. Yes. Okay, thank you for that, David. Well, of course, it wasn't only the big cities where people were protesting. So let's just have a, a look at Truro, which had a pretty significant turnout. Just some of the people present. And of course, this was members of the public and um, people from within the NHS and included um, doctors themselves. Um, so we just like to say how brave the people were, because many of them, as we shall be hearing, were speaking out about the bullying which is now taking place inside the NHS. But the other thing for Truro, at least, was there was not a policeman in sight. It was almost as though the, the police had been told to stay away. Uh, what could be the reason for that? Well, of course, Cornwall has um, a special um, environment in that local police are known within their community. So was it the fact that the police were being shy of policing uh, nurses from within the Cornish community or was there an overall uh, edict that uh, the policing would be toned down? We don't know. But let's have a look at this little video clip with Debbie uh, Evans, who was invited just to say a, a few words. A little bit surprised for this, but uh, let's hear what she had to say and then we'll bring her back on screen to ask her to tell us a bit about events in Truro. Hello everyone, hello Truro. Um, I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody for coming out. And UK Column, Mike and Brian, all send their love. They're so sorry they can't be with you this afternoon, so they've sent me instead. And the big message is, please, we can't give up, you know? This is not a lull. They've got something else planned for us. So we need to stay vigilant. We need to do the research. And for anybody that hasn't watched UK Column, we'd invite you all to watch. We will speak the truth. 
If there's anybody here that wishes to speak to me from the NHS and wishes to speak out, then you're more than welcome. Everyone here is brave. We're all brave and we're all here not for ourselves, but for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. This is an assault on creation, assault on humanity. We must not let them win. We will not let them win. There are more and more people coming to the conclusion that we came to years ago, that are waking up. And for the people that have had the jab, please, please, please join us. It's not too late. We will help you. We will support you. We will be there for you. It's not too late. We need to stay strong, stand up firm. There's more to come, folks. I'm very concerned about all these tablets that are being shoved out, molnupiravir, antivirals, strong drugs that you would give to patients with HIV and Ebola are being rolled out to people in their homes in the UK. Look up molnupiravir. Look up RNA treatments. Look up vaccines. You know, it's not going to be too long before one day someone says to you, or oh, you've got breast cancer or Alzheimer's in your family, we can offer you a vaccine for cancer. This is what it's all about. It's about genomic medicine, precision engineering. It's about resetting the planet. Are we to expect power outages? Are we to expect internet outages? More than likely. Partygate, it's pantomime, it's theater. I believe it's between Team Rushi and Team Boris and they're just trying to, Dominic Cummings is uh, controlling the agenda. So it's not over. This is not back to normal as we were. We need to stay vigilant. We need to research and we need to stay strong. And if every single person here can tell one other person and that one other person tell another, then look at the numbers. Look at how many people are here today. And please, you know, from UK Column, we send so much thanks to everyone that subscribes, to everyone that watches our material and to everyone that shares it. Please keep on sharing it, keep emailing us, keep giving us the news. We can only report it if you tell us what it is. So thank you, thank you Truro, thank you to everyone who's arranged today. Bravo to all of you. And thank you very much indeed. Thank you and see you soon. If anybody wants to come and chat, I'd love to chat to you. Well, there we are. So um, Debbie getting into a stride and a, a tremendous response from the crowd. Uh, Debbie, if we can just bring you on screen just in a, just a couple of minutes, tell us about uh, what the atmosphere was like and about some of the people that you met and spoke to. Why can we not hear her? Is it gone? Oh, good grief. I don't know. Sorry. We've got a bit of a technical problem there. Just give, give us one second. We'll see if we can. Uh, uh, right. It's, can, is there anything you can do to, to and bring Debbie back in, in in about a minute? Yeah, that's fine. We'll, we're just one of the people that Debbie spoke to was uh, Cornwall's very own Robert Ryder. Uh, Rob, very interesting man who's been doing a lot of work using the government's own statistics on vaccines to challenge them as to the efficacy of vaccines. 
He's also produced an, uh, a book, which uh, you can see on screen when he met up with Debbie, called books called Medical Fascism. And um, that's available on the internet if you have a look, uh, look for it. For those of you who want to get into a little more detail, these are the contents. So you can uh, freeze this on screen and uh, have a look through. But very, very astute man who has found that when you use the government's own statistics back to ask the questions of the same government, they don't know what to say. So Debbie, I think we can bring you back on screen now. Sorry about the uh, slight glitch there. So very quickly, just tell us about the atmosphere and the people you spoke to at Truro. The atmosphere was incredible. It was uplifting. People were so well informed and they were smiling and laughing. And, and you know that the whole thing with the NHS staff, they were so brave. People were feeling uncomfortable what they were witnessing. And what came over more, more than anything was that People, doctors and nurses want to uphold their oaths and their codes of conduct. And they didn't feel that the NHS was a safe place to be. And that in itself was extreme. But, you know, people were so well informed, incredible beats. There wasn't a sign of any animosity, no, nothing at all. It was incredible day. And, you know, congratulations to Joe and Shelley who organised it. Thank you so much to everyone. Okay, thank you for that, Debbie. Just one question. There were NHS professionals there who were deeply worried as to what was happening with patients inside the NHS. Are you able to tell us anything about that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I spoke to NHS doctors and NHS nurses who were extremely concerned about treatment that we're receiving in hospital. I also spoke to a UK column for who'd been an inpatient in hospital and very poorly. And the doctors had basically said to her, or you, it's a choice, then or die. Um, she was unvaccinated, is unvaccinated. She chose to die and her partner was smuggling in ivermectin in chocolate. And when she started to get better, the doctors couldn't believe it. But then her partner got caught smuggling it in. And I've heard this before. This isn't an isolated story. Um, and the partner was thrown out of the hospital. So and staff are witnessing this and they can't sleep at night because their consciences won't allow them. They these are staff that have been in the NHS for 20, 30 years and also newly qualified staff that now can't practice. OK, Debbie, thank you very much for that uh, report. We'll be covering this more in uh, forthcoming UK column news editions. Thank you for that. And we just say, of course, that uh, it was also Birmingham that was involved in a wonderful banner that was picked up from the demonstrations in, in uh, Birmingham. So thank you all very much for that. And we're just going to emphasise that, of course, uh, YouTube is, is desperate to take down videos. This was one video that I was sent to look at. It was apparently an interview with NHS nurses. But when you went there, there was the notice saying that YouTube was taking it down. So any professionals speaking out, warning the public of vaccine dangers and threats to NHS jobs, YouTube is censoring them. Um, now, of course, it wasn't just the UK, it was worldwide. But if we uh, move to Brussels for a second, first of all, Children's Health Defence uh, were having uh, uh, held a live stream press conference on uh, Saturday on Sunday morning. 
uh, sorry, yesterday morning. Um, and if you remember, what they were saying was that uh, in the framework of Citizens Rally in Brussels, uh, organized the 23rd of January by European uh, United International, Children's Health Defence Europe is pleased to invite you to a meeting with several speakers uh, concerned with the current policy turn and the future that awaits younger generations. Um, and so they had uh, many people speaking, uh, many people that we've seen on Doctors for COVID Ethics uh, symposiums and so on. The, the live streams are still available to watch. Uh, if you just put that back on screen for a second, uh, Stephanie, please. Uh, the uh, URL there is childrenshealthdefense.eu uh, slash live dash stream. Uh, and that's on screen at the moment. So you have to go to the, uh, the EU website for uh, for children's health defense um and uh so that uh, I, I strongly recommend people watch that but of course then what happened uh because uh, um there was a huge demo in brussels um 50,000 people or so was the estimate in the mainstream press and we can assume i guess based on uh, the situation in the uk mainland that uh, uh 50,000 is probably more, more than that. It's probably yeah. it's probably quite significantly more than that. But of course, uh, there was this going on, which looks very well mannered and very uh, uh, pleasant uh, experience for all these people taking part in this demonstration. No, there's no trouble going on there. But what did the mainstream press focus on? They focused on rioters fighting the police, smashing the EU Foreign Service headquarters uh, building, and uh, various uh, video clips of that uh, going about the place. And what do we have? 50,000 people, uh, you know, taking part in a, a good natured demonstration. And what have we got there? About 20 people uh, throwing things at the uh, at the EU uh, foreign office, effectively. So now I don't know what happened in Brussels because I wasn't there uh, exactly. But I have been at the, the, the demonstration in London last year. And what I witnessed uh, was a very similar, what looks like a very similar situation. Uh, and in fact, uh, people uh, gathered around uh, Downing Street and a small number of people there uh, throwing cans into the secure area in Downing Street and therefore uh, getting the headlines. Um, this looks very much like the same type of thing. Well, it looks like the, those, how, how many are there? Four or five individuals are just being allowed to do it. It's incredible, Mike. Yes. When you watch that clip. Yes. Um, so here's Reuters then. Uh, fact check the Metropolitan Police has not opened a criminal investigation into Britain's. Uh, COVID-19 vaccine rollout. David, now, of course, this is the Mark Sexton uh, case, which has apparently got a police crime number now, an investigation uh, taking place. Uh, many, many UK column viewers wanting us to cover this case. We are looking into it. But uh, what what did you want to talk about with, with the uh, Reuters so-called fact check here? Well, several things. Firstly, if you look at the date here and the time, January 20th, 10.43 a.m. We'll come back to that. Um, so they, they, they say that uh, the, the police has not opened a criminal investigation. So that's what they're saying. Remember those words. Um, Metropolitan Police told Reuters no such criminal investigation has been launched. Sportsman explained that a crime uh, reference number being issued does not automatically indicate an investigation has been opened, nor does it mean that a crime has been committed. Rather, CN, CRN being created means that the police force has received and recorded an allegation. That's what they're saying here. Uh, the CRN number is 602-9679-21, if you need to know. Now, uh, they then link very helpfully to the Metropolitan Police website. What happens after you report a crime? It says something somewhat different. Um, it says every, every 
every crime's unique and so is the investigation, but there are certain basic steps to make sure we've gathered all the relevant information and to keep you informed. So that this is this is what I'm saying. Every investigation will start with the same basic steps. And first they make sure you're talking to the right police force, then they give you a crime number, and then they carry out an investigative assessment, which is what the what the according to their statement to Reuters, they're doing now. So they're on stage three of an investigation because every investigation will start with the same basic steps. So the the comment that they made and Reuters reported um, that there is no investigation is false. I think that's very interesting that they should be so obviously in error in this, the fact checkers. Um, another thing that was quite interesting is that wasn't the only fact check that day. Here we go, Reuters, January the 20th, 5.23pm. Fact check. Metropolitan Police call handler misspoke when appearing to confirm that a criminal investigation into COVID-19 vaccines has been launched. And uh, they go into some detail. Uh, there's a video clip uh, and the person phoning in said, I've seen this thing online saying that they're under criminal investigation or something. The government are under this crime number. So I was just seeing if you could confirm it. Police call handler says he'll, he will look into the CRN. Upon returning, she's, she tells the caller, yes, there is one that's in place. Obviously, I can't read all the information within the next few minutes, but there's a number of pages, as you can imagine. The caller then asks, can you confirm that it is under the criminal investigation about vaccines? The call handler replies, yes, yes, it is. It's interesting, isn't it? And uh, we would agree with that statement. Uh, well, we would indeed. So we, we so we watch with interest to see what happens next. But uh, David, it does seem that there's a bit of desperation creeping in there. There is, and and we'll we'll explore this perhaps in extra time. The difficulties of using the official system, but also the benefits and the degree of 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 of. Uh, of awkwardness and, and anxiety it causes the state as they try to cover things up when people try to use the system to reveal them. Um, so, yeah, more on that in extra time, but it's, it's certainly one worth watching. Yes. OK, now let's move on to the Telegraph here. And uh, the headline is high COVID death rates skewed by people who died from other causes amidst Sajid Javid. I think this is a very interesting development, David, because uh, we have seen in the, in the vaccine uh, technical briefings and, and reports uh, this new caveat appearing in the last couple of months saying, uh, well, of course, you know, these figures uh, don't necessarily reflect those who have died from or, or with COVID as opposed to from COVID. So uh, this is a point that we've been trying to make since the very beginning, beginning of this so-called pandemic, um, that the well, numbers are therefore incorrect. Yes, and this is, this is my point for raising this here, because we've been making this since the get-go. Uh, other, other commentators have and other campaigners have and they've been called uh, outrageous conspiracy theorists. But here we now have um, the, the health secretary, uh, Sajid Javid, saying just that. Many people were included who have not necessarily died of COVID. Exactly the UK column line for all of those months. Interesting to see the government minister now agreeing with us. Um, the next one we've got here is a, is a strange thing, right? This is, this is in the general line of the collapse of the narrative. Because here we have... Uh, Carol Malone uh, of The Express, uh, back in May 2021, uh, selfish and irresponsible, 
Carol Malone erupts, you know, she's furious, she erupts at Britons refusing to take the COVID jab. That was May last year. Let's have a look at her now. Um, Carol Malone, Sunday, January the 23rd. Witty and gang must be held to account over COVID fear-mongering, writes Carol Malone. We all knew it, but sage sciences, scientists have finally been forced to admit their hysterical predictions about Omicron were wrong. That's quite a turnaround. This is another example of the official narrative collapsing. Uh, they're losing support in the professions, they're losing support in the media, and it will be people like Chris Whitty who will be left holding the can. No, indeed. Now, let's, uh, let's move on to this. Uh, this is uh, the latest technical briefing from UK Health Security Agency, but it's not about vaccines. And this very much uh, reflects what, uh, uh, what was being said earlier in the programme. Uh, this is not about vaccines. This is a new technical briefing. It's technical briefing one, and it's all about therapeutics. So COVID-19 therapeutic agents, a program of public health activities to support deployment of novel therapeutics for COVID-19. This is what Debbie was talking about. Let's just have a look at the, uh, the contents. Uh, work stream one, knowledge and evidence build, structural modeling, laboratory testing, genomic surveillance, uh, epidemiological surveillance, antimicrobial stewardship, and so on. These are the main topics that they want to cover. Uh, let's have a look and see what they say. Thera therapeutics are a core public health mitigation measure for the next phase of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. Is there a pandemic? Don't think there ever was, but anyway, they, that's what they claim. Uh, the Department of Health and Social Care Th Therapeutics Task Force coordinates a pipeline of directly acting antiviral agents, including monoclonal antibodies and small molecule drugs for rapid deployment in the UK. Uh, and they list them, including uh, molnupiravir, remdesivir, and so on. Uh, there is a risk to therapeutics deployment, both from the emergence of dramatically altered variants, such as Delta or Omicron, and from the more subtle emergence of mutations accruing uh, in the existent pre prevalent variant, uh, independently or as a result of the use of treatment. The UK Health Security Agency's programme of work aims to support rapid deployment. This is coming back to the 100 days thing we were talking about last week. Rapid deployment of specific COVID-19 therapeutics by undertaking genomic uh, virological and uh, epidemiologic surveillance through both national surveillance system and academic collaboration. And so uh, I've got a question for Debbie, if I could, uh, because, uh, you know, you were talking in the, the speech you gave uh, to the, the, uh, the, the demo about these therapeutics, and you were saying that these were really serious drugs that were normally given for serious <laughs> problems like, uh, uh, you know, like Ebola and so on. What what do you think is the main issue with giving these out like sweeties, which seems to be the direction we're heading? I think we might have lost her, Mike. Oh. I think we might have lost her. Oh, but I, yes. I, I, if I may, I think yes. I know what she'll be saying, and that is that we haven't we haven't sorted out the safety of these of these existing vaccinations. We'll call them vaccinations. But now the UK government is charging ahead with this all, all of this new what it calls precision precision medicine and of course they're saying that there's going to be even fewer safety checks as it happens right so um debbie i'm sure and other uh, nhs professionals are going to be warning about the uh, acceleration of this program yes okay uh david uh let's have a look at the babylon b guide to choosing safety safer activities yes babylon b satirical site from america uh, is in, in Good form here. 
Uh, and uh, basically, if you're unvaccinated, um, anything you do, including watching Netflix alone, hiking alone in Antarctica, etc., it all results in death. Uh, but if you're vaccinated, it's okay if you're double masked, apart from rioting for justice, which is, of course, uh, safe, stunning and brave. Um, we've now got a little video from them. I think one of the best things they've ever done. Um, it's on the subject of being unvaxxed in a vaccinated world. My name is Chris Smitherson, and I'm unvaccinated. Ever since Omicron hit, I've, I've just felt so alone. I feel so left out since all my vaccinated friends have COVID. Every time I see my vaccinated friends all hanging out inside, wearing masks because they all have COVID, I really start to regret my decision not to get the jab. Sometimes I fake a sneeze just to feel included, but they can tell. I've tried everything. Uh, I licked doorknobs, I, I double dipped guacamole, I even ate a golden corral. <laughs> but nothing worked. No matter how hard I try, I just can't get the Rona. Since I can't be quarantined with my friends, I guess I just have to continue on with my life. Out here. As if there's no pandemic. At all. I, yes. I thought that was just wonderful. Absolutely nailed it. It did indeed. Okay, let's uh, have a look at React uh, 19 patient-led research, apparently. Yeah, so this is a, 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 a patient, a grassroots um, patient scientist and physicians organization uh, looking into the effects of vaccine and the longer term effects of, of COVID-19. Um, and they're uh, basically research focused, but they're also campaigning. Uh, so I encourage people to look at their, their website. Uh, we also have a short extract from a song coming up, which they've, which they've uh, put out to generate um, uh, well, to, to communicate the message as to what actually needs to be talked about. To get people vaccinated. We were promised the vaccinations will be a game changer. To get people vaccinated. We were promised the vaccinations will be a game
Sorry about that. And yeah, we'll we'll play the full the full uh, song in extra time. Yeah, no more silence, please. This is the 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 plea from those harmed by the vaccines, and uh, uh, they should be listened to. Uh, okay, now, and the question is, David, uh, it, is this going away anytime soon? You know, apparently we're coming out of Plan B into Plan A again in England and Wales, or certainly in England, maybe not in Wales. Uh, Wales is moving in the right direction, it seems. But Scotland, what is going on in Scotland? Is Scotland going to be left alone? But uh, uh, here is the BBC and, well, you have to wear badges. Well, this is... This is... <laughs> There are almost no words. This is so ridiculous. So the BBC and other news agencies report that the Scottish government has uh, supported a scheme to hand out free badges and lanyards for people worried about COVID in public spaces. Uh, the item shows a yellow shield and a signal that the wearer would like others to give them extra space. So there we go. We're now badging the worried well. Um, BBC continues, the government has invested, invested, oh, not spent, invested £55,000 in the voluntary scheme. Uh, badges and lanyards are available in libraries and ASDA from Wednesday. Health Secretary Humza Yusuf said, quote, we know that for some people who have been at higher risk or feel anxious, I wonder why they would feel anxious, Brian, or feel anxious about going out in public, this is a big step. This scheme will not only provide vital reassurance to anyone who chooses to wear a badge or lanyard, but it all encourages us all to be more aware and considerate of those around us. We simply don't uh, know their circumstances or concerns. And if you thought that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. The British Red Cross Scotland Director of Independent Living, Mary Hayes, said many people experience loneliness during COVID and were fearful of going out of their homes. We, she added, we believe distance aware, this is the badge scheme, can help overcome this and help them re-engage with social activities. This could be invaluable in helping to tackle loneliness. So we now have full Orwellian state in Scotland. We wear a badge that says, stay away from me in order to tackle loneliness. Excellent. Well, let's come back to, the, to England then. And uh, well, here's the wonderful Nadim Zahawi, otherwise known as uh, Anton LaVey, of course. Uh, and he's very concerned about education because he is the education secretary. Uh, he's saying today, face-to-face -face education for all students has consistently been my priority, and that is why I'm pleased to further strengthen the tools available to schools to manage transmission of the virus. Uh, and how's he going to do that? Well, he's going to spend £8 million, apparently, uh, in order to support schools with the vitally important in-school vaccination programme for young people. Um, this is because only 50% of uh, 12 to 15-year-olds have received one dose of the vaccine so far, and they want to have many, many more. But as well as that, they are going to uh, commit to delivering up to uh, 9,000 air cleaning units uh, to early year schools and colleges uh, across the uh, country. Um, so what else was he saying? My message remains the same as ever. Testing, ventilation and vaccinations are our best weapons against the virus. Keep testing and get your vaccine as soon as possible. So, I mean, uh, the, it's a perfectly reasonable uh, uh, position, isn't it? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think it's twisted and it's a lie, Mike. And uh, my thoughts come to ventilation systems. And of course, ventilation systems are notorious for sucking in all the dirt and dust and germs. And then when they're not cleaned on a regular basis, you have even worse problems than if you'd opened the window in the first place. So this has been rushed in, but it's it, the whole thing is a lie. It's a scam on the public. Yes. Uh, so, David, uh, what's been going on in Israel? 
Well, we've got another open letter. This one's uh, extremely strongly worded from uh, an extremely well-qualified man, a leading Israeli immunologist, uh, reported here in the Rio Times uh, from Brazil, um, writes an open letter uh, and concludes it's time to admit failure. Uh, he says the truth is that you have burned hundreds of billions of shekels to no avail uh, for publishing uh, intimidation, for ineffective tests, for destructive lockdowns, and for disrupting the routine of life in the last two years. And uh, the letter concludes, uh, there is currently no medical emergency, but you have been cultivating such a condition for two years now because of lust for power, budgets, and control. The only emergency now is that you still set policies and hold huge budgets for propaganda and consciousness engineering instead of directing them to strengthen the healthcare system. This emergency must stop. Professor Udi Kimron, Faculty of Medicine, Tel Aviv University. And uh, well, Israel, uh, David, at this point in time, has pretty much the worst uh, situation with respect to uh, vaccines on one hand, in the, in the sense that they're further down the vaccine rollout uh, path than anybody else, but also cases on the other. Uh, oh, absolutely. They, they are number one for vaccine uh, rollout almost in the world, apart from one or two very small states. And uh, they recently re uh, achieved the number one position in uh, COVID-19 uh, infection rates. So uh, that's an interesting start once again. OK, so introduce us then to uh, the MEP, Christine Anderson. We have featured Christine Anderson before. She's a German MEP for the AFD, Alternative for Deutschland. Uh, we've featured one of her speeches on the UK column before, and she had uh, the following to say uh, about the nature of liberty. To get people vaccinated. We were promised the vaccinations will be a game changer and it will restore our freedom. Turns out none of that was true. It does not render you immune. You can still contract the virus and you can still be infectious. The only thing this vaccine did for sure was to spill billions and billions of dollars in the pockets of pharmaceutical companies. Whenever a government claims to have the people's interest at heart, you need to think again. In the entire history of mankind, there has never been a political elite sincerely concerned about the well-being of regular people. What makes any of us think that it is different now? Never take anything any government tells you at face value. Always question everything any government does or does not do. Whenever a political elite pushes an agenda this hard and resorts to extortion and manipulation to get their way, you can almost always be sure your benefit is definitely not what they had at heart. As far as I'm concerned, I will not be vaccinated with anything that has not been properly vetted and tested and has shown no sound scientific evidence that the benefits outweigh the disease itself and possible long-term side effects, which to this day we don't know anything about. I will not be reduced to a mere guinea pig by getting vaccinated with an experimental drug. And I will most assuredly not get vaccinated because my government tells me to and promises in return I will be granted freedom.
Let's be clear about one thing. No one grants me freedom, for I am a free person. Yeah. And that is very much the issue. Uh, I think, yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's say that if you like the UK, what the UK column is doing, if you'd like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org uh, forward slash community, and there are options to help us out there. Uh, that'd be very much appreciated. Uh, also, do share any material on the various platforms. Uh, or if you want to support us via the shop, that would be much appreciated as well. Yeah, excellent. Um, just a big, big thank you from uh, David Noakes' family. That uh, fundraiser has very nearly got to the £50,000 target, which is quite extraordinary. And that is only due to the generosity of, of all the people who have donated. And as soon as we can give you more uh, about what's happening to David in this court case, we will. But thank you so much. Now, this is a little um, email that's quite typical of some emails we get. I'll read it very quickly. Firstly, thank you for your honest reporting on today's mad world. Can you dig for information on what the government have done to support the NHS through this pandemic? All you hear is shortages of everything. The ambulance service is shocking. Uh, why was it a national message to clap for the NHS staff and now the government are willing to sack 100,000 staff? I'd like a new clapping campaign to support the NHS staff. Now they really need it. Um, it goes on to say, can you, can you have a look into NHS shortfalls? Now, thank you for sending us the email. We do receive many emails like this, but we'd just like to gently say in return, when you ask us, can we do something, we'd like to ask you straight away, can you do that very thing first? So can you investigate the subject you're looking at, then talk to us, because then we get a chance. We cannot do all of the research uh, from scratch ourselves. We just don't have the capacity. Now, have a look at this uh, email here. Uh, this is um, an email which was sent to a UK column, uh, UK column viewer. Uh, from or in their workplace. And uh, essentially, it's a reply by a manager. I'm aware of the yellow card scheme and the work of the MHRA and of the work done by the ONS. I do need to point out you are misrepresenting the data and the narrative. There is no data or evidence that states that 1,800 deaths were caused by uh, vaccines in the UK. The number you have misquoted is the number of people who have died, died after having a vaccine. Actually, today, the ONS website cites uh, 1,645. I ask you to accept dying within an unspecified number of days after having a vaccine is not the same thing as dying as a result of being vaccinated. They are entirely different statistics. The this irony is, of that. <laughs> absolutely, Mike. This is a senior manager talking here. The ONS website clearly states However, the numbers don't show confirmed cases of deaths linked to the vaccines and should not be used for this purpose. Many of these deaths will actually have had other causes, which explains why these numbers are so much higher than the deaths registrations. And if we go on, you are correct in asserting some people may have died as a result of having vaccine. As of this morning, there is accepted medical evidence that this number is nine people in the UK, if you want to cite numbers of deaths using the generally accepted criteria developed by the same organization you drew your numbers from, it's worth noting that since the pandemic was declared, 33 people 
uh, we support have died from COVID. And nationally in the same period, over one, uh, 149,000 people have died from the virus. It, it's my responsibility as chief executive of this particular organization to operate within the law and to do everything I can to keep as many people we support and employ alive and as healthy as possible. I do acknowledge your views about the vaccine are generally held and I anticipate nothing I or anyone else can say will change your mind. I ask you to understand why I can't and won't uh, be going, uh, going forward, enter into long exchanges about which of us is right or wrong. And uh, I'm going to put over this that the manager writing this email is completely unaware that there's no evidence to support the claim of just nine people. And, and but, there's but, no evidence to support the claim of 149,000 who <laughs> died from COVID. And this is the sting. Ultimately, if you want to work for my organisation, or want to work in social care of health, uh, in social care or health care, that should be in England after uh, 1st of April 22, you have to have had the vaccine or you will lose your job. The law is that clear and it's your right to decide. So this is the brutality and the ignorance of people inside the care system. They've been brainwashed by the lies in the mainstream media, by the MHRA and the ONS. Uh, and they're using that evidence to deny people the right to work. And uh, this is where we get into the meat of it with a second one, where basically uh, one of our viewers has had the um, vexatious uh, FOI reply from the MHRA. And the key point about the email sent in to us is that they're saying, well, my question was deemed vexatious but look at the language that's been echoed back to me in their own reports, terms like not unusual, small number, very rare, will continue to review, a temporal association. So the vagueness of the information which is coming out of the authorities and the cheek when you ask for a detailed quantitative risk assessment, uh, you're told that you're vexatious. So this was quite a long email. I'll let people uh, freeze it on screen. But the interesting thing is that the person that's uh, the lady that's written this email um, says I'm not a, a, a medical professional, but I have worked in the system and I have looked after medical records and worked on health statistics at a regional level. And this is the arrogance that she is treated by the MHRA. And lastly, uh, the lady says, let me add that I find the work of UK column exemplary and have followed your excellent yellow card summary. So that's great. And we'll just remind people that those summaries are still on screen. And this is the killer point that there is still no quantitative risk assessment by the MHRA on their own yellow card data. And there are people who are qualified who are warning about this fraud in how statistics and medical trials reported. Uh, this uh, gentleman, is the editor of The Lancet. Um, he said the case against science is straightforward. Much of the scientific literature, perhaps half, may simply be untrue, afflicted by studies with small sample sizes, tiny effects, inva invalid exp uh, exploratory uh, sorry, analysis and flagrant conflicts of interest, together with a, quote, obsession for pursuing fashionable trends of dubious importance science has taken a turn towards darkness. Now, to be fair, this was quoted in an article in 2018 
but the source goes right back to 2015. But of course, what Richard Horton says still stands today. And he's reinforced by other well-qualified people, such as this lady, Dr. Marcia uh, Angle. She says it's simply no longer possible to believe much of the clinical research that's published or to rely on the judgment of tr trusted politicians or authoritative physicians. physicians or authoritative medical guidelines. I take no pleasure in this conclusion, which I reach slowly and reluctantly over my two decades as an editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. This lady is of mature years now, but she's done some really excellent work, including this brilliant book, uh, The Truth About the Drug Companies, How They Deceive Us and What to Do About It. And I'll just say, thank goodness we've still got humor uh, because this is uh, conservative women picking up on some really excellent memes circulating online, super callous, fragile, risky experimental doses, which I thought was wonderful. And this one here, uh, did the BBC's credibility die of COVID or with COVID? And perhaps this brings us into the arts because I certainly think somebody was uh, motivating individuals with these uh, particular memes. Uh, it does. So uh, let's say welcome to Kitty Joe. Welcome to the programme. Um, Hi. What, do you, what have you got for us today? Yeah, so I'd like to talk today about the, um, the impact that the COVID measures are having on theatre and live performance. Um, I'm sure many of the viewers watching have had shows cancelled, rescheduled, cancelled again and again. Um, and one of the latest casualties of this is a show called Bring It On, the musical, which was running at the um, Southbank Centre in London before it was supposed to be embarking on a UK tour. Now, due to uh, isolation requirements um, and 13 cancelled shows, they've had to cancel the tour. Um, the producers, Celador Worldwide, said, they, said that the overwhelming loss um, of uh, money amounting to hundreds of thousands of pounds um, has sadly rendered the uh, tour financially unsustainable. Um, and my heart goes out to every single cast member, crew, the whole team um, that have been left now um, unemployed. Um, and you can tell by the producer's statement that they are absolutely devastated to have to pull the show. Um, but at the bottom of the statement, they're blaming Omicron um, even though I would imagine that most of the cast are jabbed um, and they're still having to test and isolate. So what's the point in the vaccine? It's just absolute insanity. Um, uh, in 2019, 15.3 million people visited our amazing West End. Um, that's one million, nearly one million more than visited Broadway in New York. And the awesome West End, West End brought in £799 million in uh, ticket revenue, generating over £133 million in VAT for the Treasury. In 2018, theatres all over the UK that would have productions visit them, like uh, Bring It On The Musical, uh, had a combined audience of 34 million and uh, ticket revenue of nearly 1.2 billion. We are truly blessed in the UK to have world-class theatre that not only um, contributes millions of pounds to the economy, but also provides that escapism and enriches our lives. 
um, that escapism that people need from everyday life. Um, and there was an article in the stage that was published last week by Richard Jordan, and it was titled, Theatre is a Sanctuary in Tough Times. In 2022, it is needed now more than ever. And in that article, he talks about that importance that I've just spoken about, that importance of escapism that, uh, that theatre provides for people. Um, and he talks about his concerns for the well-being of, uh, of those in, in the theatre. They're, they're, um, they're exhausted, he says, worrying whether they have jobs to return to, how they will pay their next bills. Um, he says that many performers are depressed, that they may never be able to go back to the jobs that they loved and have devoted their lives to. Um, this is utterly terrifying for everybody in the industry. Uh, in an article in The Guardian in December last, uh, 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 last year, Kenny Wax, who is a huge theatrical producer, massive, um, talk, is talking about one of his West End productions. They had to cancel a show due to isolation requirements because of positive tests and one of the actors who reacted uh, really badly to the booster. And he says that his shows are hanging on by their fingertips. Um, but the thing is, is people must be so confused because last July, we have this huge campaign where people in the arts were singing Rhythm of Life, promoting that COVID-19 vaccination schedule. And you had um, the likes of Don Warrington saying, I've had mine. And you had Jim Broadbent delivering the final line, just get that vaccine. I mean, the, the whole video actually just made my blood boil. But you have that. And then six months later, productions can't carry on for people getting ill from the jabs and testing positive. And it doesn't matter how much you throw at the industry, furlough schemes, VAT reductions, money from the Cultural Recovery Fund. If these have been vital, obviously, to keep theatre going, but if your cast and crew are constantly testing positive, it won't be a case of the show can't, must go on. It will be a case of the show can't go on. That's, that's it. There will be no staff. Um, and I do wonder if people ever remember what theatre was like pre-Rona, because the show must go on literally meant that you, you weren't on that stage. Even if you felt like death, you got on that stage. Um, and that principle is ingrained in you, I found, during training. Um, and it comes from that deep love that performers have for their job and their art. So you've got performers, actors, dancers especially, up close and personal on stage, whether you've got the lurgy or not. You, you went on that stage, you were up close and personal with everyone. Nobody cared. Um, it's called Dr. Footlights. That's what we call it in the business. It's a strange occurrence where no matter how poorly you're feeling, how ill you are, as soon as you get on that stage, you're instantly healed. So we've gone from performers carrying on, even though they're you know, down with the lurgy, they've broken a rib, didn't matter, you carried on with the show, to performers having to isolate and stay at home, even though there's nothing wrong with them, they've just had a positive test. And I kind of feel like if we don't stop this madness of t using these tests, which we know are totally unreliable anyway, I can't see how live performance and theatre is going to survive.
um, th yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about in the show today. Okay, well, thank you very it's much. It's a huge for that. concern. Yeah, let's let's move on then to to Adele. Now you're going to talk about oh, Adele, yeah. Adele for a second, Adele. and then and then yeah. what I wanted sorry then what I want to do just after you talk about Adele is is look at uh, a little bit of of uh, what are the statistics actually showing about uh, vaccination and uh, positive tests and so on. So so just talk yeah, about great, Adele lovely. and then we'll do that. It's only a, yeah, it's only a quick bit about Adele because um, she's yeah. So she had this massive uh, Las Vegas residency coming up. Um, she was going to be the highest paid performer of all time. We're talking 12 million pounds in less than a month. And um, she's cancelled her show 24 hours before the first performance. Now, um, her excuse for cancelling is that it's been destroyed uh, due to late deliveries and half her crew being down with COVID. Um, so it's been impossible to finish the show. So the day before she's posted this video sobbing, saying, you know, it's been a nightmare and she's rescheduling dates. And But the, the problem with that is that people have travelled halfway across the world, spent thousands of pounds on hotels, stupid tests to go and see her, hard-earned money that they're never going to see again. And the irony of it all is that to go to her gig, you needed to be triple jabbed and have a negative, negative test. Well, one would presume that her crew that are all down with COVID are triple jabbed as well. Um, and I understand that people expect a spectacle at Las Vegas and a huge production. I, I understand that. But she, the least she could have done is at least delivered them some sort of acoustic set or something. Um, you know, it's it's just it's just not on really. If you if you if you ask me, but I think the irony of it is just is just hilarious. Triple jabbed to go, you know, negative test, but all of her staff are down with COVID. Yes, indeed. So so let's just look. Uh, I'm just going to uh, point everyone at this article from uh, TCW Conservative Woman. Um, and it's uh, called Triple Jabbed Over 30s Have Higher Infection Rates Than the Unjabbed. Um, and this is really the point, isn't it? Um, but before we get to the actual statistics, let's, let's look at the opening paragraph here. This week, the UK Health Security Agency vaccine surveillance report has landed. And this week, there's a change. They change the, the, the contents of this on a regular basis. It goes on to say the infamous Table 12 which shows rates of infection, infections, deaths, and hospitalizations per 100,000 by vaccination status. The data have suddenly switched to giving rates for triple jabbed rather than two or more doses, meaning we no longer have continuity with the previous data. So sudden was the change that the report itself has not kept up with it, and the notes under the table still say that the rates are for people who have received either two doses of COVID-19 vaccine uh, or for people who have not received a COVID-19 vaccine. So they've changed the way that the data is uh, is shown. They've changed the data itself. And of course, there's no, as, as the article rightly points out, no way to correlate that with what we've seen before. But nonetheless, here is the graph, uh, which shows that if you are over 30, uh, you have significantly higher uh, risk of a positive test than if, if, if you're triple vaccinated, than if you're unvaccinated. And Kitty Joe. That probably says it all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's. it's I, I mean, it, it's just complete insanity. I don't know how we're gonna we're gonna get through this if if this is what we're gonna keep is gonna keep happening. It's absolutely crazy. Um, 
yeah i mean uh, did you want me to carry carry yeah, on just carry on about? so so obviously the, the news came out uh, just before the weekend that uh, meatloaf had passed away and it didn't take long for the uh, for the headlines to start talking about covid yeah exactly i mean the the incredible um rebellious superstar meatloaf um i am a, a fan of his um and yeah it's 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 really really awful because what's happened is is he was outspoken about his um, uh, critical views on vaccination and uh, mask mandates. Um, he thought that, they, that masks were useless and a nuisance, and he was very outspoken about this. He did say he was scared um, about COVID, um, but that if he died, he died and he wasn't being controlled. That was that was what he uh, what he'd said. Um, and so, yeah, he's he's been in, fa in failing health for a long time um but it has gone down um, as reported that he died of covid um he's refused whether um to disclaim disclose whether he was vaccinated or not that was something that he never disclosed um and he was strong in his opinions although did ask his fans not to talk about politics when they came to his shows he didn't want that um and he, so he wasn't preaching he wasn't somebody that used to preach about whether or not to get the vaccine he was just anti-mandates um so we have this this amazing superstar um die and then just hours later people mocking him on twitter um saying things like um he was a pandemic a-hole and the dude was a d-i-c-k about the pandemic sounds like he effed around and found out um you've got some on the screen there um just just awful awful nastiness that people are are, are saying now so judgmental um because he had he had his own opinion and he had and he was unwavered in that so is this what it's come to now is this what it's come to? Do we do we say to a, a, a smoker, you know, oh, it serves you right, you you know, you smoked, so you serves you right, you died of lung cancer. I don't, I don't understand how people are being so nasty. And it does feel like people on that side of the medical apartheid is what it is is are being are being extremely nasty. Uh, yeah, um, but 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 it's but it's more than that, isn't it? Because what we have here is is a perfect example. What did he die of? Uh, now, he has been extremely unwell for many, many years. Uh, yeah, he's had skin cancer, asthma, um, and, and actually just three weeks before he died, he just had to have an endoscopy procedure. So the man wasn't in good health at all. Um, so, you know, people, uh, this comes back to the whole issue of, the, the, you know, the email that Brian was showing there, 190,000 deaths in the UK says who actually when you look at the statistics it's more like 20,000 um, and uh, when you look at the statistics in the right way we're seeing more and more caveats in the official documentation about with COVID or of COVID um, and, uh, uh, and but at the same time when it comes to vaccinations it's reversed because then you can't say that there's 1800 deaths then you can only say there's nine yeah. deaths because because those people may have died with it underlying health conditions and so on. Mm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's antagonistic. It's confusing. But this is this is planned agenda. This isn't some accidental agenda coming out of the, the governments and the health security system. This is planned because the more confusion, the less people are going to see what's actually what's actually happening. Yes, David, we're going to need to move on. But before we do, had you any thoughts on that? 
segment. Well, it, it was very interesting, and I take care of Joe's point that it's it, it, it could be existential uh, for for the entire theatre and and the entertainment industry unless the policy is changing. Um, it's particularly unpleasant to see the nastiness over people's deaths. Um, it, it, whatever scenario they're in, um, compassion and and a little bit of humanity must surely come before. Uh, well, to the fore, and uh, not allow such such dark and and, and nasty um, ideas to to come bubbling forth. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, look. Uh, let's let's move on then to uh, to Russia and uh, continue on from what we were covering on Friday. Uh, and uh, well, here's uh, Liz Truss. Uh, she's very uh, outspoken again uh, about Russia. Of course, she's foreign secretary at the moment. Is she going to be the next prime minister? Well, she would hope so. Uh, I don't think she is, or at least, <laughs> well, anything could happen. But anyway, uh, so the Foreign Office decided to uh, to release some information over the weekend. Uh, this information being released today shines a light on the extent of Russian activity designed to subvert Ukraine and is an insight into Kremlin thinking. Uh, Russia must de-escalate, she said, end its campaigns of aggression and disinformation and pursue the path of diplomacy. Um, so what were they saying? They're saying they've, this the Foreign Office has information that the Russian intelligence services maintain links in numerous, with numerous former Ukrainian politicians, including the first deputy prime minister of Ukraine, your former first deputy prime minister of Ukraine, uh, the former first deputy prime minister, uh, that was from 2012 to 2014, but also the one from 2010 to 2012, um, and also the former deputy head of Ukrainian National Security and Defense Council, uh, and also a former prime minister, Mykola um, uh, uh, Azarov. So uh, some of these have contact with Russian intelligence officers, they claim, currently involved in the planning for an attack in Ukraine. The UK's position on Ukraine is clear. We unequivocally support its sovereignty and territorial integrity with its internationally recognized borders, including Crimea. Uh, Ukraine is an independent, sovereign country. Uh, and she went on to say, as the UK and our partners have said repeatedly, any Russian military incursion into Ukraine would be a massive strategic mistake uh, with severe costs. Um, so that's uh, what's been going on in Britain, David. But in Germany, it's a different picture. Well, it was a different picture unofficially. Um, German Navy chief was forced to resign over his comments. His comments were uh, honest. Uh, Mr. Uh, Sean Bach said on Saturday that he'd resigned from his role with immediate effect in order to avert further damage. He made these comments uh, speaking to a think tank, a discussion in India. Um, and uh, he was saying that Mr. Putin needs to be treated as an equal by the West. Quote, it's easy to give him the respect he really demands and also probably deserves. He added that the Crimean Peninsula, which Russia annexed in 2014, is gone and will never come back. Ukraine's foreign minister uh, described uh, Sean Bach's comments as uh, categorically unacceptable. I would uh, describe them as categorically true and um, manifestly accurate. And sensible. Yes. And sensible. And sensible. Right, well, look, uh, last week we were talking about, uh, in fact, last Monday, David, we were talking about uh, the question of Scandinavian countries joining NATO, and we were making the point that uh, Ministry of Defence 
uh, was tweeting this out from uh, about Ben Wallace that he had uh, been meeting with his counterparts in Scandinavia amongst current tensions in Eastern Europe. Uh, and then we had uh, the press release from NATO itself saying that NATO Secretary General uh, meets the Ministers of Foreign Affairs for Finland and Sweden. We mentioned this on Friday's programme. That meeting is happening today. But David, you'll be delighted to know that it's not just going to be a meeting, or at least apparently it appears to be not just a meeting between Jens Stoltenberg uh, and the, foreign min the Ministers for Foreign Affairs in Finland uh, and Sweden, uh, but it's also, it looks like, Liz Truss because she's heading over to Brussels today as well. Uh, on Monday, the 24th of January, the NATO Secretary General, Mr. Jens Stoltenberg, will meet with the Secretary of State for Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Affairs of the United Kingdom, Ms. Ms. Elizabeth Truss, at NATO headquarters. There will be no media opportunity. Now, there's been nothing from NATO to say that, that uh, all these people are going to get together. But it seems to me, David, uh, an unlikely scenario that Liz Truss is heading over to Brussels uh, as these people are heading down from Scandinavia to Brussels to meet Jan Stoltenberg. Uh, and it's going to be separate meetings, particularly since uh, Ben Wallace has just been over to meet the very same people. Well, I would suggest that Liz Truss is in the real meeting because the one that's uh, been advertised by NATO, everyone's going to watch that. They're live streaming it. You can, you, you can watch it live yourself. It's, it's for the whole world to see. So that's a, that's a media PR stunt. The, it sounds like there's a real meeting going to be happening uh, before or afterwards. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, here is uh, the US Department of Defense, speaking of uh, uh, Russia and so on, uh, because there's more, uh, of course, more exercises going on. It's another week, so you can't have another week go past without more exercises. Uh, Neptune Strike 22 kicking off today in the Mediterranean, uh, and it's going to go on until, I believe, uh, the end of the month or so. Uh, so they announced that Strike Force NATO will kick off an exercise called Neptune Strike 22, in which USS Harry S. Truman Carrier Strike Group will be placed under NATO operational control and serve as the centerpiece for this long planned activity. And of course, this is in parallel with uh, HMS Prince of Wales taking part in a, in a, in a separate uh, exercise at the moment, uh, leading that exercise. They say that uh, well, the point is that this was announced over the weekend or on Friday, um, and, uh, but it wasn't actually published by NATO that this was going to take place uh, before Christmas, which is when they, were, uh, when they normally publish uh, the dates for various exercises. Um, so the, uh, uh, the US Department of Defense representative said that uh, tensions with Moscow uh, had paid, played a part in discussions about conducting the naval uh, exercises but that the exercise itself is not designed against the kinds of scenarios that might happen with respect to Ukraine. Um, so there you go. Uh, there was due consideration about high tensions given, uh, high tensions right now, our exercise uh, posture. And after all th that consideration, the discussion with our NATO allies, the decision was made to move ahead. So that's fantastic. But strangely enough, on the same day, uh, more or less, Russia uh, announced their own exercises. Um, so uh, this is the defense ministry here. Uh, Russian Navy announces more major fleet exercises as drill ends with China and Iran. Uh, and this is going to be taking place in January and February uh, in all areas of responsibility of the fleets under the general uh, leadership of Russian Navy Admiral Nikolai Evmenov. Um, so 140 warships, 10,000 servicemen uh, during January and February. Just 140 
uh, warships sound like a, a largish exercise. Largish, yeah. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, Russia announcing that uh, in the Sea of Japan, uh, one of their submarines uh, has been busy launching cruise missiles. Uh, they launched it and then blew it up um, and uh, from a submerged position. So they're clearly uh, getting themselves activated. And the question is, what's the motivation for it? Is it because they are really, truly aggressive or is it because they are really, truly concerned about their own defence? Well, things are clearly being ramped up. And uh, when we got headlines, uh, which I read over the weekends with the, the EU saying we were closer to war than at any time known to the European Union, um, there's some serious questions to be asked. OK, let's move on again. And uh, this is the GM Freeze uh, website. And uh, they are saying, action, say no to more GMOs in our food. Um, so let's have a look and see what they're saying. The Food Standards Agency covering England and Wales and Food Standards Scotland plan to recommend to ministers that nine genetically modified organisms are approved for use across the UK food chain. Four of the GMOs are already in use here. Uh, but the approval that allows uh, allows them into our food is overdue for renewal. The other five are new. All are engineered to poison insects, to withstand spraying from weed killers or both. Uh, this is the first time that UK ministers will decide uh, whether or not to allow specific GMOs into the food chain as we previously followed rules agreed in Brussels. Uh, it is important that they hear from those of us who see no role for GMOs in a responsible, fair and sustainable food system. So this is the government's position. Um, and uh, let's, uh, the point is that there is a consultation. There's an opportunity to have your say. The details are on screen at the moment, or you can find them on the GM Freeze uh, website. Um, and uh, so that consultation uh, runs on uh, until tomorrow. Uh, so not much time to get it in, but uh, I think that uh, is necessary. Well, the warning's out there, so yeah. Uh, now, David, uh, world population. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, Flashes up for, for context and for what comes next. This is a, a chart. A chart of the red section is people shared of the people of the, in the world living in extreme poverty, and the green section is the shared of people not living in extreme poverty. Uh, and it runs from eighteen twenty up to twenty fifteen. And you see the, uh, the 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 dramatic and ever more uh, rapid decline in extreme poverty, uh, which obviously is going alongside very large increases in world population. So all of the doom, uh, the, the, the doomsayers like, um, like Boris's father and uh, Bill Gates, and Bill Gates' father, who say that world population is a terrible thing, that, that graph says they're wrong. Um, I wonder what the graph will look like once we've seen uh, the effect of COVID uh, policy fully run through. But there's other trends we want to have a wee look at here. The New York Times reporting, uh, there's a long slide looming for world population. So all this, uh, all this uh, hype we've heard for decades about the population explosion and uh, the population is going to continue spiralling upwards. Well, no, fewer babies, more abandoned homes, um, and deaths will exceed births, um, and it will come with changes that the New York Times says are hard to fathom. It concludes, demographers argue the current moment may look to future historians like a period of transition uh, when humans either did or did not figure out how to make the world more hospitable, uh, enough for people to build the families that they want. Surveys in many countries so that young people would like to be having more children but face too many obstacles. So it's not about what they want, it's about the nature of the world they live in that's preventing them from having what they want. 
So the uh, New York Times unable to remain coherent there, even for a paragraph. Um, now, uh, we held a 9-11 symposium uh, just shortly after the uh, anniversary of 9-11, uh, David, and the issue of uh, Jeff Campbell was, was discussed on that symposium. Uh, there's been some movement on this. Uh, so just bring yes, us through this story. A, yes, a little update here from architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Uh, they're reporting that the coroner will not oppose a new inquest for Jeff Campbell. Um, and uh, this is now going, uh, neither will they oppose the uh, future hearing being, being in the High Court. I, I'm um, sorry, David, just, to, they, just so as everybody knows, uh, this is uh, one of the people who uh, lost their lives when the, uh, when the buildings collapsed. Yes, exactly so. Uh, and uh, AE 911 Truth uh, uh, continue, the Campbell family believes its application easily satisfies the test of a new inquest uh, to be opened based on two separate grounds. First, the significant additional evidence that was not considered in the first inquest. And second, the coroner in the first inquest did not conduct sufficient inquiry, having concluded the North Tower's destruction was due to airplane impact without considering any evidence as to the cause. The Campbell family eagerly awaits a decision from the Attorney General in the coming months. Okay, right. Uh, look, we're absolutely out of time. So I'm going to say, um, would you like to choose one of your Scottish stories? And we'll do that one. Well, we'll have to do Stefan, because that's the most important one. Okay. Um, so so the um, Stefan Sutherland, um, we've got a BBC report here from September. Um, no criminality in a 25-year-old's death. Uh, this is reporting the police um, uh, conclusion. The police say they found no criminality involved in the death of a man whose body was found in Highland Beach 11 days after he went missing. Um, we do not believe that. Uh, we do not think that the, the inquiry was in any way uh, sufficient, and neither did Stefan's family. Um, but there's been more in the story. So here we have the Daily Record, uh, Marcello Mega reporting, um, we will never get justice. Scott's parents' anguish as a man they suspect murdered their son dies. Um, so this is um, the, a man called Stuart Dixon. We reported him on him before as Witness D, he was described as, because they, there was an ongoing investigation and we weren't naming him at that point. Um, uh, officers took more than 200 statements and re-interviewed witnesses, but it's understood Dixon was not quizzed under caution by detectives due to lack of evidence that he'd committed a crime. Stefan's mom, Sandra, and dad, Sandy, say Dixon's death has now ended any lingering hopes they had of getting answers about how their son died. Sandra said, I thought right away we will never know for sure what happened. We will never get justice for Stefan. And the record continues, Dixon had been charged over a sexual assault of mum of two, Jenna Johnson, age 27, who took her own life a week later on January the 1st, 2019. And a decision on prosecution was due next month. Jenna died a week after she alleged Dixon had raped her. He was charged with sexual assault in December 2019, almost a year after the incident, three months after they obtained a warrant to search his home. Dixon died at home in Thurso on January the 11th, three years to the day after Jenna's funeral. Um, and we would uh, point out that uh, back in 2017, uh, we put out the uh, article, Stephen Sutherland, the unanswered questions. Many of these questions remain unanswered. We'll be doing a follow-up article in uh, February on all of the issues surrounding this case. Uh, so uh, hopefully that will uh, answer at least some of the unanswered questions. Yes. But uh, just to 
add to that, David, the key point is that the police simply were not doing their job in investigating this murder. It was worse than that, Brian. The, the police were not touching this man at all. He could drive without insurance. He could assault people in the street. Nothing ever seemed to happen. Uh, he had no means, no financial means to bribe anyone, yet he seemed to be immune to prosecution. Um, the county, the town in the county was living in fear. The, the failure of the police to do their job had blighted the entire community. This is an enormous story, and the failure of the police here is absolutely enormous, and that's what we'll be reporting on next month. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and uh, David, two final slides then. Uh, yes, so we've got here um, one from a lamppost somewhere in the UK, uh, and it's one of these uh, little, little stickers that have crop, been cropping up now for two years, and it reads, People in 1940s Germany didn't realise they'd been, they'd been brainwashed by the media and government either. I quite like that one. And finally. And to close, and finally, we have the Muppets, the two hecklers from the Muppet show, and one's asking, what's the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth? And the reply is, these days it's about three months. I refer <laughs> you to the article we started off with Sandy Javid earlier in the news. Yes, indeed. Okay, brilliant. Thank right. you very much. Excellent. Well, we'd like to thank everybody for joining us today. Um, really interesting news and joys hearing what our guests had to say. And we hope our audience uh, is enjoying seeing the additional people on UK Column News. More will be coming on that in the future. And also just a little reminder, if you're not already a subscriber and you're watching for free, please consider taking out a subscription because we can only do what we do with your financial help. Thank you very much for joining us. Back in a couple of minutes on the main live stream for some extra. And otherwise, Wednesday at 1 p.m. See you then. Bye-bye.